Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sephloication Conflagration. Here are your two amazing hosts, Nate Bradford and Stephen Ronquillo. Guys, take it away! Hello, everybody. This is going to be a busy busy show, so we're just going to get right to it. Hey, Nate, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Stephen? All right. We're going to get the best picture nominees, by the way. I mean, really, to really, this is a bland year for the Oscars, even for the Oscars. I mean, we're going to get the three generic historical epics out of the way first, and that would be Judas and the Black Messiah, which is about the Black Panthers, which isn't that bad, but... Best picture material? No. And yeah, Mank, which is go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh it's a story that needs to be told, but as far as best picture material, eh I I, I don't know. Um it, if I don't think almost, the black film year, I probably would have picked the one by uh, Spike Lee, The Five Bloods. Now, that one was fucking great. Yeah, yeah. I, similar material. and uh, But, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The Five Bloods was definitely a good film, but eh, I don't know if it was best picture material. I, I don't know either. Um, we do need a... I, it would just be nice to see, be able to say a non-exploitation movie was nominated for best film. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And then there was Make, which is your generic movie on movie movie. They love those, so I'm not surprised that one got nominated. Hollywood loves movies about itself. Yeah, but that was a that was a really weird one. Uh uh no, uh, uh who directed that? It wasn't David Fincher. It was uh uh Yeah, it was oh. David Fincher. It was David Fincher. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um Yeah. yeah it it seemed really off. It seemed really off topic for him. Um well, I guess maybe not. I don't know, man. I've been drinking and smoking weed all day, as is my thing. Uh, well, so no, yeah. really. It's just this has been this year for uh, the Oscars. It's been that kind of uh, confusing year. I mean, in any other year, of course, Gary Oldman would have gotten nominated. Would Mank make the best picture? No. Yeah, yeah probably the one not. Which everyone is thing is the dark horse and the tr- and probably going to win and that's the trial of the Chicago 7. I I did I did enjoy Trial of the Chicago 7. I thought that was a really uh really good film. Um but I I don't think it's going to win because I think in in fact I think it it got weighed down by the screenplay. 
And I know everyone's like Aaron Sorkin. He wrote the screenplay. Boom. They might win best original screenplay, but there's no way that that's going to win best picture. No way. Nope. Um, If I, if I had to bet on it, uh, the, the, the best picture is going to come down to Minari or Nomadland. And, yeah, and no nope, man's land nope. is your basic. Uh, oh my God, I need to get out and do something. Porn. <laughs> and with this year coming, right. a movie was. You mean she goes and travels and lives on the road and does that? That's like porn this year. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, and I think Nomadland will come close. But I think it's actually going to come – I think Minari will actually win the best picture. But, again, as you say, Mank, I mean, we remember – oh, what the heck was that movie from a couple years back? Uh, uh, The the black and white silence. No, not La La Land. The Artist. The Artist, artist. yes. Yes. Yeah, and and Mank, and, uh, Mank, yeah, Mank kind of has that same. Mank kind of has that same knows. feel. But um, yeah, but this year it's too white. It's too white to win, and they're trying to avoid that so they can say stay weight inclusive. So, and of course we so have you, cripple exploitation as usual. We got the father, which is about a man with Alzheimer, and the sound of metal about a guy who goes deaf, so he's supposed to feel sorry for him because he was a drummer. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, both really? of those. I think both of those films were were really excellent. Either one of them will win. Um, if I had to bet, I would say Mank is probably going to win Best Picture. Uh, but if I had yeah, to pick... Nari, I say it won't win because we can't have two feel-good movies about Asians, directed by Asians, win two years in a row. Yeah. That's that's a terrible thing to have to say, but you're probably not wrong. Back in 1988, that a movie that's basically a ripoff of I Spit on Your Grave and all the other rape exploitation films they disdain would be nominated for Best Picture. How full of shit would you say I was? (laughs) Well, I always think you're full of shit, so... That none none of this changes yeah, I mean, my opinion even about more you. More than usual, I would move from <laughs> astoundingly to amazingly. But yeah, mm-hmm. all promising young woman is is another fucking rape exploitation film, and not a good one to be exact. Yeah, yeah you're. It, it's amazing that it's it's amazing that promising young woman was directed for an Academy Award, especially Best Picture, because you're right. It is just another rape exploitation film uh, in the vein of, uh, yeah, I Spit on Your Grave or any of the 70s films that you and I uh, champion. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know. Um, I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if it really came down between Mank and Nomadland. And those, that's because Mank has a a high power, uh, you know, director behind it. And Nomadland has Frances McDormand, who's already won. Does she have two Academy Awards now? Uh, she, I, I think she's won two yeah. Academy Awards for, yeah. I know she got one for Fargo, and uh, mm-hmm. didn't she get one for that Billboards movie too? Uh, three, yeah. three billboards in, three yeah. billboards in she's your the in your booger grouchy, uh, She's the officially grouchy middle-aged old white woman of the Oscars. Just like uh, Gary Oldman is the official quirky old man of the Oscars. And the grouchy old man is probably is definitely got locked down by Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Now, see, I, I would like to see Anthony Hopkins win an Oscar. Uh, he, I, I do think that he did well. Uh in that in that role but at the same time uh, he already won his oscar for uh hannibal lecter which was a much better performance um so let, let's just let uh, i don't know uh, yeah i have i have that's this what, I ha- that's the whole thing about the oscars this year i don't know just uh... It's just like this is like form foo, form letter foo. Every one of these nominations is form letter foo. Yeah, you know exactly. They fit a slot. You got the black right. film. You got the cripple film. You got the uh, old legend playing weak film. You got the Hollywood on Hollywood film. You got the 60s nostalgia film. You got the film of the moment, No Man Land. And then you got the movie directed by a woman, written by a woman, which is Promising Young Woman. Yeah. So now, all right. It's like, you know, it just, I mean, it's just one of those was like, clink, clink, clink. Yeah, there there doesn't really seem to be there doesn't really seem to be a film nominated for best picture this year that actually stands out on its own as an original piece of art. It seems like every film that is out there is is I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say homage. I would go so far as to say just uh I don't know, like, you know, when you, you know, when you go to the bathroom and you pee standing up and, and a little pit drips down your leg, uh, that's what all of yeah. these films feel like to me. It, to me, it's like when you go to a generic art house theater and these are the films that you're going to see. It's like, okay, yeah. boom, we got this, 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 this year there's no... Quirky theater with the weird film. Yeah, and I did enjoy all of these films. I did like all of them, but there's not one that I could stand 
on a you know tabletop and say yes this is the best film of the year there really there really isn't um i i, I don't know if i had to choose i would honestly say trial of the chicago 7 was probably the best of these films that i if i have to choose from these films I would say yeah, Trial of the Chicago Seven was probably my Trial favorite. Trial of Chicago Seven, yeah. Yeah, I I like I like all of these last movies. Last year that uh, Dolomite is not my name didn't get me not for best script, best actor, or best film. Yeah, we talked about that last year, and Dolomite is my name was definitely probably n- number two. It had to be one of the best films of last year. That movie was amazing. And it it turned uh, Eddie Murphy back into the star that he was before, but in a different way. Uh, his turn in that film was similar to when Travolta showed up in Pulp Fiction. You know, someone that you looked at as kind of a goofball suddenly showed up and proved what he could really do as an actor, you know? And... Yeah, it was a shame. It was a shame that he never got any recognition for that, aside from our ramblings here on our podcast. But I mean, this may be the first year I probably won't watch the Oscars. I'll peek in from the door. Just yeah. my term because that's how I used to watch Tennessee football as a kid. I'd stick my head in. Hey, what's the score? Uh huh. We winning? Yeah. Okay. See ya. Boom. Yeah, well, I've talked. Actually, I've talked to a lot of girls that you went to high school with, and they say you often uh, peeked your head around door frames uh, uh, back then to see what they were doing. I, I know, I know your style, Stephen. I know your. That was what I called him once. That was our high, <laughs> that was our middle school coach, and he had his office next to the girls' room wall, and his wall had hole in it hmm. oh like he had like he had some porkies shit going on like yeah like when the when the girls got in the shower he'd go or with like some psycho shit uh he had a he had like a picture no, of joe like Namath that. on the wall the first one. When yeah whenever he whenever the girls would go in the shower he'd go into his office <laughs> oh, oh yeah, see, I'm telling you. So, so yeah, like yesterday I'm saying, so was had... uh, was uh, yeah. Everybody, it was like yes, we're glad to. I'm glad the way the trial came out, yay. But and then I was woke up that morning and I was like, I wonder if the verdict's gonna be what? Jim Steinman died? Oh man! <laughs> and if you're a cult movie fan of the '80s, Jim Steinman created one of your favorite scores, which would be Streets of Fire. What? Streets of Fire. Oh, Streets of Fire, yes. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to give you the fanfare so you could say it, but since we're yeah, 3,000 yeah, miles Street away, we're, 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 always on a, that, we're always on a delay. That was funny because <laughs> no one went to see it in the 80s and no one cared about it, but people bought the soundtrack to it. Yeah. There are... 
think think about I mean, we could do a whole show on this. There are so many movies that have faded into obscurity, but their soundtracks are still alive. And I was actually just talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day about uh, Judgment Night. That's a movie that faded into obscurity, and rightfully so. But the soundtrack uh, was was so ahead of its time with the mixing of heavy metal and hip hop and, uh, you know, even weirdo, you know, even weirdo stuff like Sonic Youth and uh, Cypress Hill doing songs together. You know, nowadays we take that for granted uh, that that kind of music is just, it is what it is, you know, like you hear a song on the radio that's got a weird mix of like hip hop and heavy metal. And you're just like, yep, well that's music, but that it wasn't always that way. And the judgment night soundtrack was definitely one of the things that pushed that narrative forward. Whereas the film itself has kind of lost any, I don't know. I, I, I shouldn't say credibility. It's not a horrible film, but it's just not all that interesting. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack. It's one of those yeah. where if, you know, it's one of those, it's like white boys get lost in the ghetto, except it's not like any ghetto I ever seen. Cause I have never seen a ghetto without any black gangs, any Latino. <laughs> gangs. <laughs> well, that's easy for you to say because you are Latino. Uh, you know, us white folks, we have to be scared everywhere we go, Stephen. We have to be scared everywhere we go. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, it was funny. Someone... I mean, I mean, for the mix of music, you was expecting black versus white. And what do we get? We got Dennis Leary. <laughs> yeah. The bad yeah. Guy. yeah. Yeah. Dennis Leary is the big bad guy. Yeah. I hate it when I have to fight my way through a bunch of Mexican and and Hispanic uh, Hispanic and uh, and African American gangs. And when I get to the end, I have to fight Dennis Leary. That's just that's like the worst fucking Xbox game ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was all right, but yeah, it's just one of those films that was forgotten. But the soundtrack lived on by itself. It had more hits yeah. than the freaking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and later that yeah. day, we that temp come out that Tempest Storm died. She was one of the real stars of the burlesque strip scene. You know, everyone talks about Betty Page, Betty Page. But if you really go back and look at the old movies and stuff, and all the stuff that something weird come out, there's not much Betty Page stuff because she really wasn't that popular back then. Yeah, and you know that I am a huge fan of Something Weird video. I mean, I have made it my life's goal to collect everything that Something Weird video ever released. And you're right. Um, She is featured in many of the films uh, and even the short films that Something Weird video has released over the years. But you're right. She's not as well known as Betty Page. And it's a shame because, I mean, I I guess probably I would say the reason why she's not as well recognized is because when people think of Betty Page, they think of the like the bondage, uh, the bondage videos and 
uh, you know, and, that kind uh, of stuff. The Whereas, yeah, right. Whereas I, I, I do believe that Tempest showed up in a few of those Betty Page videos. I think she was, I think she oh, spanked yeah. Betty Page if a few. If you look at most yeah, of the uh, stripped and burly cute stuff that, uh, Something weird put out. Most of them have a Blaze Star and Tempest Storm in them. Yeah. Yeah, Blaze Star, Tempest Storm. Oh yeah, yeah. I have I have a bunch of the the Roadshow shorts uh, from Something Weird video and uh, a bunch of the Best of Burlesque, and she's definitely in them. Uh, I, I was just questioning, uh, you know, off the top of my head. You know me, man. Uh, Marijuana is a hell of a drug. I can't remember everything off the top of my head, but I, I'm trying to remember yeah. how many uh, of those videos that I've seen where the two of them are together. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. like I said, yeah, Betty Page and, and but, Tempest Storm. Like, yeah, uh, but the big one was really one of the big cult guys to come out of the DVD age because this movie really wasn't that known until the Criterion came out. Did you know Tulane Blacktop before the Criterion came out and uh, VH1? I mean, no, what was it? Yeah, VH1 started showing it a lot on their rock and roll movie show. Oh yeah, no, uh, of course. I mean, uh, and that's the funny thing. Uh, you and I were talking about this earlier today before the show, and uh, I was trying to think about any other Monty Hellman films that I was super familiar with uh, before the advent of the internet and DVD and Blu-ray, et cetera. Um, but no, Tulane Blacktop was, really the only film of his I was ever really aware of uh, until almost like the last 10 years. Uh, I, I kind of thought that was the only movie he had ever directed until I had access to the internet and was able to actually explore, you know, uh, which is what folks yeah, like you and, and I are want uh, to do, you know, yeah. and Criterion put out the double feature, uh, box set of uh, Ride the Whirlwind and the Shooting. Yeah, see, I, I, I never realized that he had directed so many uh, 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 Westerns. I never, I never really knew that. Uh, I think you and I talked about it before. I, I had seen Iguana, but I think I was... At a young age where I did not realize that that was a Monty Hellman film. And then you and I spoke about this earlier before the show as well. I did not realize that he directed Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. I had no idea. Yeah, he did uh, 3 and uh, 5. Well, see, now you're just teaching me more. I didn't realize that he had anything to do with 5. And you also... That was uh, the toy maker. Yeah. And you also alerted me to something, which uh, if we were in the same room, I would assume you would have just slapped me in the face because as our frequent listeners know, 
Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. And you were the one who was like, yeah, remember? Monty Hellman was one of the producers on Reservoir Dogs. And I was like, what? (laughs) And that's when, if you and I were in the same uh, room, you would have just slapped me in the face and been like, motherfucker. We've been talking about Quentin Tarantino for seven yeah. fucking years now. You didn't, you never realized that Monty Hellman was a d- producer on fucking Reservoir Dogs. You're fired. No, fired. Yeah. And it says other work here. He was the uncredited second unit director and directed several action scenes on RoboCop for Paul Verhoeven. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. And he finished The Greatest, which was that 1970s version of, uh, well, the movie with uh, Muhammad Ali playing Muhammad Ali. And what if I said that when ABC got the rights to a fistful of dollars, they thought that the movie was horrible and immoral. So they wanted to film a scene in it. That would give it some sense of morality, which would have, uh, what does that, Harry Dean Stanton as a sheriff, who forced uh, Clint Eastwood's character to go to the town and kill the bad guys, or else he would kill them. And they added that to the very first TV showing of Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars. (laughs) (laughs) So so you're saying Monty Hellman directed that? Yeah. He he directed that extra scene. Yeah. Wow. And if you want to see it nowadays, it's on uh, the, uh, well, every Blu-ray and DVD set of Leone ever since they've uh, put out the special edition. Huh. And, of course, he did the terror, which the terror was like the town pump of the AIP movies because basically everyone did it. Let's see. Uh, Dick Miller directed a scene. Francis Ford Coppola directed a scene. Jack Nicholson directed a scene. Jack Hill did. Yeah. Roger Corman. Yeah. And Monty Hill. <laughs> Well, well, that that uh, the terror was one of uh, uh, was one of Corman's like earliest films, and he and and as anyone who's a film fan knows, uh, Corman was always game to give up and coming directors a chance to to uh, to helm something. But you're right, uh, the terror does hold its own in a very strange, uh, nebulous. Uh, piece of film history because like you said uh he was just like all right you shoot this scene you shoot this scene you shoot this scene <laughs> like so yeah the terror like, okay, although it, we got five hours left on boris charlos contract we're gonna film right here but what about making the movie make sense we'll work it out in post <laughs> and then they right? just filmed here and there <laughs> That's why the movie has because bizarre way it is because you know. 
and 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 the terror wasn't the terror filmed on the tail end uh of another Corman film. He already had he already he had already yeah, wrapped on another uh, Yeah, the Raven. Right. He had already wrapped on that, but he still had the sets and he still had the cast and the crew, so he said, Fuck it, let's just make another movie as quick as possible. Yeah, he's and like, okay, I, we got one more day with Boris Karloff. Like I said, we got a little more time with Boris Karloff, film some shit, we'll make it make sense. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess it does kind of make sense. It's not a great movie, but it, it makes sense to some degree. Well, the best use of the terror footage is when Peter Bogdanovich used it in Target. Right. But, yeah, Monty Hillman was one of those guys who would do that. He was like, okay, we need some filler because uh, the movie version we got is short enough for a drive-in but not long enough to fill the TV slot. Yes, this is before they had to cut movies down to bits to make them fit on the TV time slot. This one, they needed more footage. So he did Beast from Haunted Cave, which he also, which he also starred in. No, it was Last Woman on Earth where he actually starred in and filmed. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so one of the things we kind of joked about earlier, uh, but uh, we never circled back around to is obviously, again, as we talk about every week, uh uh, Tarantino is my favorite director, but he mentions two two lane blacktop specifically in Death Proof because they uh, he wants that or the characters in Death Proof want that same vehicle that they want the same car from two lane blacktop yeah. to do their well the car yeah, they, they their... talk about two lane blacktop but the ones that the girls have is uh, the one from Vanishing Point. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, net two yeah, and backdrop yeah. is name drop. That was his yeah. second – that was his third film that he did on his own after uh, the Ride the Whirlwind and the shooting. And then he – directed Tulane Blacktop, and they're like, what the hell is this? We don't know what the hell to do with this. Yeah, but it's got Dennis Wilson from uh, the Beach Boys. Well, shit. Yeah. He says it's a Dennis Wilson film. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, Tulane Blacktop is a a strange film. I, I, I think, now, if I had to guess as uh, you know, an amateur film scholar, I would guess that Tulane Blacktop was kind of made in the same vein as um, Easy Rider. Like they were trying to do like a cool, like let's do a cool. Yeah, it was a uh, movie about motor- the guys who wanted to be the guys in uh, Easy Rider. Uh, my, right. Uh, it, yeah. See, what was his Warren Oates was the guy who would talk about the road behind him, you know? Yeah, back there and this and that. 
and uh, Wilson and the other guy were the ones who would talk about the road ahead of them, and that's all they cared about. They never lived in the moment. One of them just cared about the future, and one just cared about the past, the older guy. Right. Which is why Uh, it ended the way they did instead of, yeah, James Taylor. That's why the movie ended like it did. Instead of uh, ending the race, they were like, fuck it, I'm bored with it. Yeah, okay, let's just move on. Okay, see you later. Right. So that's what that that's what I'm saying is kind of like the same uh kind of has the same landscape as Easy Rider where it's like uh you know in Easy Rider you had Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper and and they were like they were like the old school guys and then you had Jack Nicholson who was wrapped up in this world unexpectedly and didn't really know where to go with it, you know? And I think that was a a similar idea with Tulane Blacktop where it's like, okay, so you've got James Taylor and Dennis Wilson, Warren Oates. um, But, you know, like James Taylor, as far as I remember, I, I haven't seen it for a long time, but James Taylor was kind of the older dude who was moving beyond it. Whereas, whereas like Dennis Wilson, Warren Oates, uh, were were kind of like the younger guys who were just getting into it, and I think there are parallels there with Easy Rider, where um, I think the difference is that James Taylor's character in Tulane Blacktop realized that his version of the American Dream was over. He was he was ready to move on. Um, I think the difference with Easy Rider was that. Um, Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda didn't didn't actualize the fact that their version of the American dream was over until yeah, they, they were accepted it was just one line. We blew it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we blew it. Yeah. But they were still holding on to it. They were still holding on to it. Uh yeah. I think in two lane black Dot, I think in Tulane Blacktop, James Taylor's character had already let it go. Uh, you know, he he was he was depressed and done, and you know, he didn't necessarily mean to bring new people into the fold. It just kind of happened by mistake. You know, which yeah, which I don't know. I then, I guess could be argued. Yeah. And then Buddy Hillman made one of the most unsellable movies ever. It's a great movie. But is it someone I would recommend to people? I'm like, what do you think about the animal killing and cannibal holocaust and stuff? Oh, animal killing's horrible. But have you seen Cockfighter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? It's a good movie, but good Lord, is it one of those like... What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It's so weird for me because, uh, I, you know, obviously I watch so many despicable horror movies all day, every day. I'll, I, you know, I'll watch, uh, I'll watch people get murdered in so many... Ha- terrible yeah. ways but 
as soon as I see an animal get killed, I'm like, nope, uh, nope, fuck this guy. No, uh, no, I hope I hope he dies. Yeah, terrible, terrible death. Thing, imagine, yeah, imagine trying to sell cockfighter, just a subject, outside of the fucking deep, deep south where it was popular. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the? Damn south, those of us who know what it is, you know, like, like, what the hell is this idiot doing making a movie like that? And then you get up north where the people who don't like cockfighting and then don't know what it is, what do they say? The exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, a good the movie. Weird thing. I mean, Warren Oates just kicks ass in it, but yeah, and it also has uh, it also has some super well, some people who later went on to be famous. Uh, uh, isn't Harry Dean Stanton in that? Yeah, Harry, Harry Stanton's I, in it. Yeah. Uh, oh shit! Is it? It's one of the Ed Bagleys, Ed Bagley Junior. or Ed Bagley Senior. One of them's in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's a. Uh, it's so funny now because we always talk about or we think about like cancel culture and and uh, you know things that. And I, I agree with that 50-50. There are some things that I think definitely need to go. But, uh, you know, as a far left liberal, there, there are most things I'm fine with. Uh, and, and I also try to look at it from the, from the point of view of history. Like, okay, I don't disagree that we should uh, change some names of our baseball teams and uh, football teams, basketball teams, et cetera. Yes. But at the same time, I don't think that when we actually named those teams, you know, like the, the, the Reds or the Redskins or whatever, I don't think that was intended to be racist at the time. I, I think it was yeah. intended to be, to, to, to honor, to honor the heritage of the area. Uh, I can see how it's aged poorly, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's not my fight. I don't have a dog in the fight, man. I'm a I'm a cis white male from well, day this one. Is so one of those that Aunt Bay put out a DVD of it, then it went out of print. No one's ever tried to put it back in print, so you can't get the DVD for under a hundred dollars. Yeah, well, or Seven chickens. And another one, after that, he was, uh, you know, after, well, two flops in a row, which Tulane Blacktop and Cockfighter, he got a job doing a Spaghetti Western right after Kioma during the last run of the Spaghetti Western, and that was China 9, Liberty 37, which is a damn good movie. It's another yeah. one that we didn't catch up with over here until later. And it has Sam Peckinpah in an acting role, Ginia Gutter, Fabio Testi. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's one of those like, what the heck? It's a good movie, but yeah, the first time that we ever heard of it is those of us who had access to the V channel in the 80s, and that one could be a show by itself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and and you're right. This was one of the films that came out at the end of the uh, Spaghetti Western. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to say fad because. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It is weird because yeah, Sam Peckinpah acts in it. Uh, and now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was originally released as an Italian film, and then it came to America, right? Like it, it was originally yeah, released. It was made it, over in, in Italy, Italy yeah. because uh, Kioma was a hit, and people were like cranking out the last few. Uh, uh, spaghetti westerns of the cash in, and they called right. in uh, uh, Hellman because he was willing to do it. You know, it was like, hey, we got a job. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You and I have talked about this quite frequently, just directors that just take a job uh, for the cash. Uh, you know, there's the old Hollywood saying, do one for you. Uh, do one for them, take the money, and then do one for you. And I think that, uh, yeah. you know, that I think Monty Hellman's career uh, kind of shows shows the benefits of that. Uh, he did do a lot of films yeah. that he, he probably up, wouldn't. For you, the next one that he did was uh, 1988's Iguana, which is a good movie. But it's another one of those, if you ain't on a Monty Hellman vibe, you're going to watch it and like, what the hell? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I still yeah, say it, David it, Lynch had to see this because this came out. Uh, no, man. did this come out, Iguana come out in 1988 before Dune did? Yeah, 1988. It came out in 1988. I'm not sure if it came out before Dune or not, but it it definitely came out in '88. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We'd have to we'd have we'd have to do some kind of internet search to figure out. The reason I say that out. is it had one of my favorite David Lynch actors, which was Everett McGill. Yeah. Yep. He's great in this. He's just one of those guys that you can just, as the joke goes, you can just stand around in here and talk. He just has that uh, voice of his. Uh, Iguana. Yeah, this is uh, another. One. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just, I was just gonna. I'm trying to remember it off the top of my, uh, you know. Stoned head. Uh, it also has. Uh, uh, oh, who who else is in it? Uh, Michael Madsen's in that, right? Yeah. Iguana has has right Michael Mad. Yeah, Michael Madsen's in that as well. Yeah. 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 And uh, Monty Hellman. Everett well, Michael Madsen. And 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 you. You say that uh, that it was an overlooked film, 
but it won some awards at foreign film festivals, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to say the Cannes Film Festival, but uh, oh, fucking a man! I need to stop smoking so much weed. Uh, uh. The the Venice, Venice Film Festival. I think it won an award at the Venice Film Festival. Yeah. Look uh, it up. Uh, Look it up. <laughs> I'm looking yeah. up right here and it doesn't have anything. Oh, oh yeah, the Venice I, I, uh, Film Festival. It won it, yeah, the it won Tony Blanco Award. Bastoni Bianco Award. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought and, it won an uh, award. It's one of those uh, where uh, the producer come obsessed with the idea that the movie should be no longer than 90 minutes. And he made cuts that destroyed the rhythm and logic of the film and made it incomprehensible as well as seemingly longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen that where they've cut yeah. films and the shorter version seems like it's longer to watch than the longer version. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, shit. But yeah, that's when he uh, took another one for him. He did uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 and 5 as a favor, well, not a favor, uh, what's his name, who uh, who uh, produced uh, Reanimate? Brian Usna. Yeah, Brian Usna. He was one yeah. of Brian Usna's favorite directors, so he's like, okay, I'm going to hire him and make him, give him some work, you know. Yeah, and this this was an actual uh, this was actually interesting to me when you and I started talking about this earlier today. I did not realize. Uh, that Monty Hellman directed Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 or Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. But to be fair, you and I have talked about the Silent Night, Deadly Night films in the past, either on our website or here on the uh, the podcast. Yeah. And I, I really kind of lost interest after the second film. And I, I, I think that was what you and I talked about I can't remember if it was on our website or yeah, on here and on the what most people but. don't know is that four and five were films that were pretty much already completed but and then the producer bought them and slapped the silent night deadly night name on them like uh four which is directed by Brian Yuzno which was called, was a a film that he made his ritual then they're like, eh, we'll just slap something like Daily Night 4 because it takes place at Christmas time. And the toy maker, yeah. well, the toy maker, let's slap it again. Because back in the 90s, we talked about this many times, uh, DTV franchises where they would just grab a movie that was vaguely connected to movie A and then just slap movie A's title on it and then put two, three, four, and then the real title of the movie below it, like Zombie 5, Killing Birds. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, gosh. 
And after this, it's like Every... he did some TV work, but the next thing I know was Trapped Ashes, which is interesting because Trapped Ashes is based on a story where uh, he went to visit uh, Orson Welles during the filming of The Terror. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't remember this one 100%, but I think you and I have talked about it before because, um, yeah, we wrote about this on the website when we were, uh, on our, on our blog, when we were talking about Ken Russell, when he passed away, we talked about the girl with golden mm-hmm. breasts and that was his, that was his segment, um, and we never really talked about any of the other segments. But, yes, Monty Hellman did have a segment in that. Um, which one was his? Uh, my my girlfriend? Something Stanley's like girlfriend. that, right? Yeah. Stanley's and girlfriend, like I said, yeah. He based it on when he went to visit Orson Welles while filming uh, The Terror. Now... Do you think that was a true story, or do you think that 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 he just kind of partially made up? True. Partially like, true. Partially uh, true. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Orson Welles said in uh, for Fate," all true stories have an element of bullshit, and all bullshit element, bullshit stories have a slight element of truth as well. Well, you you know me. Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And uh, there are two there are two sides to the coin when it comes to being a stand up comedian. Uh, when you when you when you're accepted into the fold and you start to get uh, uh, advice from stand up comedians who have been in the game longer than you have, uh, you get two separate sides of the same coin. One comedian will say, "Take your life." and build a narrative around it and, you know, tell us the absolute truth, but just in a funny way. And the other side will be like, take your life, find an element of truth in it, and then just fucking lie to me. Just go as far off from that narrative as you can. But again, both, both sides of that coin, uh, both, both of those, uh, you know, They'll they'll tell you, uh, yeah, start with the truth, but then it's your choice whether you lie about it or follow the truth. And uh, so I think that goes with with what you're saying about this this Monty Hellman segment in particular. Uh, He had to make that choice as well. Am I going to start with the truth and tell a lie or am I going to start with the truth and follow the truth? Hopefully, considering that this was a horror film, hopefully he went with the lie, but ooh, <laughs> you never know. And his last film was uh, Road to Nowhere. This one had one of his like greatest hits, cast and big cast. Uh, Dominic Swain, uh, Cliff Young, uh, Fabio Testi again. It was his first feature film in 21 years. It was one of those, well, uh, 
when uh, they started doing the Reservoir Dogs, uh, he wanted uh, Monty Hellman to produce it, and that was, uh, uh, what was his name that was in Hot Kytale? But he's like, oh, he's lit, and turned in like, what? He'll be too busy. He's too big to work on my own movie. And he said that basically he told uh, Kytel, does the check clear? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Road Road to Nowhere would have been uh, it was it was kind of ahead of its time, but kind of behind its time. Like road to nowhere would have been a great found footage film. You know what I mean? It's got that, it's got that vibe that, that found footage movies eek, you know, Uh, but found footage wasn't really a thing. You know, we were still experimenting with it. Uh, you know, and we weren't quite sick of it yet. And that's not to say I, I don't I don't want to dismiss found footage films as complete and total trash. They they are Sadly, still making what some. You, uh, just said is probably one of the best ways to sum up Monty Hellman's career. Yeah. He was ahead of his time, but also a little bit behind it. Right. Like, There's some he had the... Con- like, uh, yeah, like, uh, let's see, Cronenberg, David Lynch, John Waters, who are lucky enough to catch on. But Monty right. Hellman was they- one of those guys that never really did. Right. You know, except for like fans like us who, you know, really obsess about these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, I I was talking about this uh, the other day with some friends of mine and, uh, you know, you know, when, when you when you find a director whose films you like, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, uh, this person also directed TV shows, and then, oh, they were also an actor. Oh my, you know, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're you're down this wormhole where you're finding someone who started their their career as as a as a you know sound tech on a movie set, and then uh, eventually ended up being a director. You know, it's uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. people take it for granted nowadays because it's so easy, you know, and I don't want to sound like grumpy old man, despite the fact that I am almost 50 years old, but you know, I don't want to sound like grumpy old man, but for crying out loud, it's so easy for you kids nowadays to get off my lawn. No, uh, to just Google something and figure it out. But you know, a lot of, you know, Steven, uh, you and I, we've been friends for like seven years now. And we, we talk about, stuff yeah. on the podcast and we write about stuff on the on the website the, these are things that we know like we don't need to google we don't need to we don't need to fuss with that this is just information that's stuck in our heads because there there was a time where all you had was 
zines and, and your own memory, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like if someone was like, come up to me, it was like, we're talking to me in the chat room, and he's like, it must have been great to see those old movies like The Exterminator on the big screen on 35-millimeter film. And I'm like, you mean that was a thing? <laughs> you know, that's just us taking it for granted. You know, we don't. We don't think about that. We should, but you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Because yeah. I've seen so many so, people like, I'm better than you. Why? I watched films on the big screen back. I've seen so and so back on the big screen when I was a kid. I'm like, yeah. But it was cut to shit. So I got to see the whole movie. <laughs> uh, I I like it whenever because uh, you know I, I'm I'm just a big media fan anyway. Like I listen to a lot of music. I watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of TV shows. Whenever I whenever I'm hanging out with someone and they're like. Uh, you know, I start talking about a TV show and they're like, Ugh, I don't even own a TV. So I, I've, I've, uh, I've switched that whenever someone starts talking to me about a book they're reading, I'm like, I don't even own a book, <laughs> which obviously how is a complete you, and total how do you, lie. Uh, keep up with the news or anything if you don't have a television set. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Don't even get me started. My boss at work tells me tells me all the time that he doesn't watch the news. He will argue politics with you all day, every day, but he does not watch the news. Now, look, I get up in the morning, okay? I go all the way down, man. I, I, I do Fox News. I do CNN. I do, I do uh, CSNBC. I do uh, all the late night talk shows, you know, fucking, uh, you know, Seth Meyers, Colbert, uh, you know, Trevor Noah, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. I, 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 I do as much as I can before I have to go to work in the morning. So I'm watching the real news, whether I agree with it or not. I'm watching the fake news, whether I agree with it or not. I'm just trying to absorb as much information as I can on a daily basis. Then I go to work and I'm trying to, you know, my boss wants to start talking to me about politics. And I'm like, well, did you see CNN this morning? Oh, I don't watch the news. Well, then how the fuck are you going to talk to me about politics if you don't watch any news? I can go everywhere from Fox News to Jimmy Kimmel and talk to you about what I've absorbed from last night's news cycle and you're telling me that you haven't even watched one bit of news, haven't read one single article on the internet this morning, and you want to argue politics with me? Like, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah, if you're not, yeah. if you're not even the slightest bit, <laughs> not even the slightest bit educated, then shut the fuck up. You know? Yeah, I go to everything. I mean, really, you can go and talk out of your ass and sound smart. But, yeah, that means you lose the 
right to get pissed off when you meet someone who actually does do a little bit of research and knows what the fuck they're talking about. You can't get mad at them. Yeah, like, I'm really loving the fact that, you know, there are so many people that I work with who are not going to get vaccinated because they've listened to one news outlet that's telling them that the vaccine might possibly not be safe, so they would rather just risk it and, you know... Okay. I'm just like we're a news outlet. This is to all the guys and some of the girls. If you get vaccinated, it'll make your dick grow three sizes bigger. <laughs> oh, well, Stephen, I gotta tell you, uh I'm 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 set up to get vaccinated next week and uh <laughs> Oh, now you're making me second guess it because I don't know if my dick should get much bigger. You're going to have to talk to my wife about that one. <laughs> Ooh. This yeah, thing's already... Really, this someone thing... had said something like that, something stupid that they believe, they'll follow it to the end yeah. of the earth. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm going to tell you something. What? Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Something I know that you believe and you want to be true. Bullshit. Okay, I'll buy what he says. Why? He's saying what I want to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's politics in America, you know, and that's the that's the saddest thing about this. Not to derail our conversation, our weekly I conversation wish about politics. I've You wish what? I don't watch Godzilla movies. Why? Because they're stupid movies with people in suits. So, I don't watch new Godzilla movies. Why? Because it's CGI. Yeah. Well, I wish it was just politics. Then we could write it off. But no, that kind of thinking goes across the board. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine at work the other day. And again, as I mentioned quite frequently, I'm almost 50 years old. And I'm friends with guys at work who are in their 20s. And they're not unintelligent people and they're not uh uninteresting people they do like a lot of the same music and movies as i do but every once in a while they'll bring up that whole oh well fuck justin bieber man i'm never gonna fucking listen to justin bieber and i'm like okay that's fine i get where you're coming from but then i look back on myself as someone in my teens and my 20s, you know, I was a professional skateboarder. I was in a punk rock band and I was just like, yeah, fuck society, man. And now I'm at the age where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. The Beach Boys have some good stuff. Yeah, (laughs) we wake up one morning and we are society. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're just like, I don't know. I might go see the new Tom Hanks. I might go see the new Tom Hanks movie. I don't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I was like, fucking A, man. Let's shred. Let's listen to some suicidal tendencies and go watch the new Tarantino movie. Fuck yeah. Now, today I'm like, I don't know, babe. Can we just watch some reruns of Cheers and drink some tea? Like, come on, yeah. man. <laughs> At some point, you just have to fucking get over it. Like, yeah, I know. It seems yeah. awesome when you're young that that you're always gonna be you're always gonna be super cool. But I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, my hairline starts at my shoulders. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the point now yeah. where my hairline starts at my shoulders, so I'm I'm, I'm about done. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it goes with movies too. You see them by, you know, in the twenties, they were like, "Fuck yeah, I don't watch a movie unless it's extreme, man. I don't watch nothing unless it's that underground shit." <laughs> oh. Speaking of yeah, fucking extreme you know, movies. Speaking of extreme movies, man, I watched a movie this weekend. What do you watch? Oh, oh, we were losing it. Uh, I was saying, speaking of extreme movies, I watched a movie this weekend called Crazy Too Crazy. Have you ever seen that movie? No. All right. Well, it's going to go to the top of your list of disturbing films here's the quick synopsis guy breaks into a house home invasion style and he's a sociopath psychopath he's some kind of path he's gonna murder this family and take (laughs) everything they've got you know but at the last minute he finds out that they're also a family of socio-slash-psychopaths. And the rest of the movie is just them torturing him to death. And it's some of the most violent and disturbing shit that I have seen in a long time. And you've known me for a long time. You know that I've got a strong stomach for this type of shit. Oh. Oh, this is a bad one. I mean, it's a it's a good movie. It's it's a good one, but it's a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, yeah, you're gonna feel it, you know, and and you know when when that's coming from me, you know that's a truism. You're gonna feel how yeah. fucking disturbing this movie is. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Too. How many times have we really seen that twist? He breaks into the kid, person's house. He thinks he's a badass, but it turns out he breaks into the fucking killer's house. Right. Yeah. Like, don't breathe. Don't breathe is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Oh, I love don't breathe. Oh, me too. And I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this movie, Crazy Too Crazy, as well. I'm just saying, uh, it's, it's, it's in that same vein. Yeah, they break into the house. Uh. What was the other one? I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. What's that one where the uh, the robbers 
break into the house. Uh, oh, don't go in the fucking attic or, or don't go in the fucking basement. What? What's that one? Is that it? Don't no, go in the fucking... No, don't go in the fucking attic. Yeah, yeah don't, don't go, go in the, the fucking attic. attic. I yeah, love it. that was another... Ooh, a hardcore fight title. Ooh, what is this? Don't go in the fucking attic. <laughs> yeah, don't... Yeah. Don't put Lord Fuck on the poster. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> We watch too many we 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 watch too many crazy movies, man. I but I guess that's what keeps our podcast going, right? <laughs> uh, no, we love all kinds of everything, you know. It's like I can't remember when uh well going back Reservoir Dogs come out. People are like, Have you seen that ear scene, man? It's so fucked up, man. I haven't seen anything that fucked up ever. Yeah, and uh, I I find that uh, I you again as anyone who listens to our show on a weekly basis knows that Tarantino is my favorite director, and I always find that highly dubious when people question uh, how violent the ear scene is. Nothing is shown in the scene. It's all implied, which I think is the genius of the scene. It's all just implied. You don't see him cut the ear yeah. off. You see him, you see him dive in with the blade and then you see him step away with the ear in his hand. Okay. That's disgusting. Yeah, I won't, he says I won't. Funny I, shit. Come here. You fuck you. Don't fucking move. Don't fucking move, or else I'll fucking make a scar or shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Yeah, I mean... My... Well... Go go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to change subject. Okay, go ahead. Change subject. Okay, well, the only thing I wanted to say before we moved on to sequels was, I mean, there's no way we can deny the fact that we have to talk about this week's most popular film in the world, Nobody. Come on, you've watched Nobody, right? No, I'm waiting for it's cheaper. <laughs> Which means I can't wait to see it. All right. All right, cheapskate. I do like the setup, though. Uh, it's yeah. One of those, it's like they break into his house, and he gets pissed off, and he goes kick the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, well. It's like John Wick about dog killing. Exactly. A I, lot of people I, have I called it John Wick exploitation without going into any of the details. details. It's called... And I'm surprised that John Wick exploitation as a genre really hasn't started yet. This is really one of the first. Because well, we did a Dawn of the Dead Saturday on yeah Saturday. Me and Fred. How quick back then did you start seeing like zombie, 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 zombie after Dawn of the Dead was a big hit? 
Well, I won't spoil anything for you, but I, I won't spoil anything for you, but this film was actually written by the same guy who wrote John Wick. So it's, yeah, you already know the plot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, we we had that quick. It's like uh, Rambo was a hit. Within a year or two, we start getting Rambo exploitation films. Well, that leads right into uh, what we were going to talk about tonight, and we still got about forty-five minutes to talk about this stuff. We were going to discuss yeah. some of the longest stretches between uh, what was considered, quote, unquote, the last film in a series and what was considered the next film in the series. And you mentioned Rambo. Between Rambo 3 and the next Rambo film, 19 John Rambo. years. Rambo and I three. like John Rambo, especially if you can get hold of uh, the uncut version. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, both both the Rambo, uh, well, I don't want to say remakes or reboots because the Rambo films and the Rocky films that are now coming out seem to be direct sequels to the original films. And so the difference between yeah. Rambo 3 Yeah, the difference between Rambo 3 and the latest Rambo film, that was 19 years. And the difference between Rambo 5 uh, or Rocky 5 rather and the new Rocky, that was 16 years. So those films definitely spanned decades and they were both Excellent, and they weren't reboots. They were, they, and they weren't remakes. They were direct sequels to those films, as as far as I can tell. Yeah. No, uh, I love in the in the so-called uncut director's cut of John Rambo. It has Rambo admit that he kills people because he likes killing people. Yeah. The sense of duty, yeah. The sense of honor you have is bullshit. You just like killing people. You love the death. Admit it. And he says to himself, okay. <laughs> I've always had a I've always had a strange problem um with the Rambo uh series as a whole. Um because as you know, uh, the original Rambo, the novelization, you and I both collect uh, uh, film novelizations or we yeah. collect novels that were later made into films. And you and I both know yeah. that at the, the end of the original uh, Rambo, uh, he kills himself, right? That's that's how the original Rambo no, novel – same as the movie Troutman Chutzen. Right. But but in the film, he survives. Yeah. And 
And then well, we're left with Rambo the too. They filmed that, but for some reason they're like, "We got a franchise here. We don't want to kill him." Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So they franchise like that rather than. To... Yeah. Yeah. Just like Rocky was supposed to die at the end of Rocky Five. Right. <clears throat> so. Yeah, that that was a rough one. Uh, yeah, Rambo, that was like 19 years from Rambo 3 until the newest Rambo. And Rocky well, 5. It was uh, do, 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 over the, almost two decades before, between uh, Return of the Jedi and uh, The Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got that on my list, too, but I have a different take on that, Stephen. Um, I've got I've got it on my list, but I'm not counting the prequels. Um, oh, God damn it. I can't read my own handwriting. Uh, yeah, not counting the prequels. So let's pretend that the prequels never existed because those well, they're prequels. Um, so between A New Hope and what I would consider the next direct sequel would be The Force Awakens, that would be 32 years. Yeah. Right? Like, like uh, it's fuck the prequels. Yeah. Like, we don't uh, – they don't really count. Uh, they technically, time-wise, they were – uh, they did come before the new, uh, well, ugh, I want to say the new trilogy, but then we've got Solo and, you know, whatever, all the other bullshit that's come since I then. I don't count which, those. One, I don't count one-offs or attempted spin-offs, you know. I, I, I do count. Solo and uh, whatever, the other one that I can't remember the name of. Marijuana is a hell of a drug. Yes, yes, Rogue One. I don't count those as part of the overall arc. Like, I think, okay, for me, there are nine Star Wars movies, okay? That's it. We've got the prequels. We've got the original trilogy. We've got the last trilogy, uh, a solo and a new, uh, you know, uh, solo and yeah, uh, those, those are, Rogue One. they're side. Yeah. Rogue one. Those are side quests. I appreciate the fact that they do, they do add to the story, but there, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, there are nine, there are nine store star Wars. Ugh. Jesus Christ, man. Nine Star Wars How movies long? and two filler movies. Exactly. But they do they do add they do add to the overall uh story arc, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't need them. I don't actually don't need any of them except for the original trilogy, but you know, yeah. I'm a child of the 70s, so I have to fucking watch all these stupid fucking Star Wars movies. But I mean yeah. Well, and well, look at Raiders of the Lost Ark 4, even though it was not a good movie. 
that one was like 89, I was like 30, another 34, 35 years. Yeah. Between uh, Last yeah. Crusade and uh, Indiana Jones and the Crest of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Which is ironic. Because the reason why I wanted to talk about this tonight is because Sean Timms, our good friend uh, from uh, Seller Seer, uh, our massive, uh, the guy who got us started on uh, blogging and doing podcasts, he was the one who brought this up last night when he and I were talking on the phone, and he said, Blade Runner to Blade Runner 2049, 35 years. 82. Can you think of a – what's that? Yeah, yeah. let's see. 82, 92, 02, 12. Yeah, he, he said 35 years. That was his call. Yeah. Well, one year away from it being 40. Yeah, right? So. But, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't needed. It's another one of those unneeded sequels where they think, well, because people love the original so much, we're going to try to cash in, even though the movie was a flop. Well, yeah, I think. I think a big part of it was, yeah, the original film was definitely a flop, but it has gained a cult, uh, you know, cult fan base over the years. I mean, we're talking about it now in 2021. So, I mean, it happened. Because it was (laughs) a good movie, but they picked the wrong time to release it. I mean, here's Why do you say that? Out. I've said it before. Here's what was out back to back to back with each other. Star Trek two, The Wrath of Khan. This was in three weeks of each other. E.T., The Extraterrestrial, John Carpenter's The Thing, and Blade Runner. All right. So why shouldn't there have been an audience for all of those films? Because I mean, now, they all work too narrow. People weren't well. ET is the reason. It's one of those like people didn't want to watch R-rated, serious sci-fi, sci-fi movies. We wanted to see the ugly little fat one, fat friendly one who eats Reese's Pieces. <laughs> and the serious Steven, sci-fi nope. audience was taken by. Uh, was still taken by uh, Star Trek. Star Trek Two, which is considered by ninety percent of the Star Trek fans, is the best film in the series. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but I would have to agree that Star Trek Two is probably the best of all of them. Uh, yeah, but. I mean. Just imagine if uh, they released back-to-back-to-back in two weeks uh, concert movies in 1982 from uh, A, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and uh, 
uh, Lenny Bruce one, you know, one of them is just going to die, even if they're all three the best three comedy movies ever made, just because there's not enough audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I was at a I was at a uh, flea market uh, a couple weeks ago, and there was yeah. there was a guy who who, who uh, he he had a bunch of vinyl uh out on display and you know me i collect vinyl i'm a i'm a dj and i love listening to music on vinyl he had all this beautiful vinyl but he also had all of these posters like original posters from back in the day and oh man he had this poster that was from a concert that was uh Richard Pryor and George Carlin together on stage. And, oh, it was beautiful, man. Such a beautiful poster. Mm. I wanted it so bad, but he was asking like $2,000 for it. It was an original print. I mean, it was uh, it was beautiful. I wanted it so bad. Yeah, it even happened in 1989, too, when you had... Uh, Batman, Ghostbusters 2, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, back-to-back-to-back. All three of those movies suck. Yeah, but, but you know, it was like, they was like, we get, you know, one week was this, that, that. The old folks. This is, you know, like the older demographic shifted towards Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The younger demographic uh, went to Batman the next week. And Ghostbusters 2, it didn't have no audience. No. And rightfully so, as I said, but... at the top of your sentence, all three of those movies sucked. They did not deserve an audience. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, gotten worse. It's like we're getting sequel back to back to back to back to back every year from June to August. It's just so crowded. Well, that. That was part of what we were going to talk about tonight was just like the yeah. difference between the longest, uh, like Jesus. And, and this is something that I've noticed that seems to, it seems to be interesting to me and maybe I'm overstepping here, but the longest versions between, uh, films seem to be films that actually have a real cult audience like if we talk about sin city or we talk about the godfather or we talk about mad max or we talk about star wars okay so those are long-standing uh you know perhaps years like 20 30 years before you see another sequel but now let's talk about the films that we do see a quick turnaround on like oh i don't know breaking uh, breaking dawn uh, you know, Twilight, New Moon, That's whatever. That's another I mean, one where they're like, okay, instead of making one movie, we're going to split one book into two movies so we can get double 
so we can get double the ticket sales. Exactly. And that seems to be uh, what goes on here with a lot of this stuff. Uh, I look at it, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Scary Movie, Scream. But here's one that you and I can discuss for a little bit. Halloween 3 came out less than a year after Halloween 2. And we both know as fans of the Halloween series that originally the idea was that Halloween would be uh, an anthology series, but for some reason they did the first two films uh, as a a continuation of the Michael Myers story. And then less than a year later, the producers request, not the, uh, John Carpenter, if he had his way, it would have been Halloween, the first one, which is its own self-contained story with its bet, you know, great ending, you know. Oh, my yeah. God, he's gone. They shot him. And then, boom, go into Halloween 3, which is another, oh, my God, ending, you know. And we would have a new Halloween holiday themed horror film come out year, 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 year. Yeah. And that would have been cool, but we didn't get it. All that, all 99% of fans back then were just, ain't no Michael Myers. Yeah, but it's a good movie. Any idea is good. Yeah, but ain't no Michael Myers. What? Yeah, that, that is one of the most ridiculous things ever in the, in the, uh, history of filmmaking the annals of filmmaking as it were like that was a great idea like can you imagine if halloween 11 was coming out this year but it was a completely different story like we only let's say we only got michael myers in the first film and then the uh, the rest of the films were just separate stories and you know the most ridiculous thing about it is when you look at uh you know, some of the horror anthology programs that are uh, on TV now, when you look at your Amazon Prime or your American Horror Story, perfect example. Yeah. Uh, You know, just just stuff like that, where they're they're just running with a different story every year. Uh, You know, here's 10 episodes, which essentially is is a movie. I mean, you know, they, they say, 10 episodes but essentially you get you know yeah. five hours worth of you know yeah so uh, but yeah that that was a ridiculous one um, yeah I think uh, it but, was in the, the 90s they uh, were asking uh, I think Iced Earth you heard of them the metal band idiot on uh, Rockline was like why haven't you put out a new album because if we did, you wouldn't listen to it. Why? It would be new stuff that we wanted to do. But, yeah, but I, but if you did an album like the old stuff, and that's why we don't do it. Because you guys, <laughs> that's the fans, and it's horror fans too, you want new stuff that's exactly the same as the old stuff. Yeah, so why well. Do it? Yeah, 
it, it's like, uh, you know, I, I'm a really big fan of Foo Fighters and they put out their new album and, you know, my wife and I are big fans of vinyl. So we were at the record store. We saw their new album on vinyl. We bought it. We listened to it. It's not, it's not very similar to their older music. You know, they, they kind of went a little more like kind of disco electronica, like weirdness with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, it, it's like we still enjoy the album. What, what, how is it? how is it our right to judge like what the fuck is wrong with people it's like the artists aren't making music for you the the artists aren't making movies for you they're they're following their heart they're doing what they want to do if you don't want to pay attention anymore that's your right but you don't have to harass them and be like oh you fucking like you sold out, man. No, you're not the artist I fell in love with. Well, then I guess you fell out of love with me. How many relationships have you ever been in that didn't work out? Like Jesus Christ, just shut the fuck up. Either love it or hate it. Um, yeah, I've never make... understood that part of the punk ethos. If you sell any albums, then you're a sellout. <laughs> right. So you want me to make good music, but you don't want me to make you want me to make good movies or good music, but you don't want me to make any money off of it. Or if you, you can't don't make money. Yeah, if you don't make money, you're not going to be making another film. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, yo, you you want me to make the music and the and the movies, but. Uh, if they're not the movies and the music that you want me to make, then you just want me to fucking fade away. Like that's a bunch of bullshit, dude. Like if you're an artist and, and you know, I say this as someone, I mean, for crying out loud, man, I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I'm a director, I'm a musician, I'm a stand up comedian. Like, you know, I do these podcasts, like, I do everything I can do to keep myself relevant. If you don't like it, then just turn the fuck away. Like, don't, (laughs) I'm not compromising myself for you. I'm doing what I think needs to be done. I'm doing what is important to me. If you don't like it, fuck yourself. I don't give a shit. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. I look, I'm a Buddhist, man. I believe that when I die, I'm going to be reincarnated and I'm going to have another chance to do things better than I did this time. But in the meantime, I'm still going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm not, I'm not asking your permission. I'm living my fucking life. So if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. <laughs> that's all I, yeah, that's all can I can you say. Imagine if, uh, when it comes to that, when they got to the same crossroads, that Quentin Tarantino took the same road that Kevin Smith did and cared more about making the same film that his fans wants to see rather than what he wants to make. Yeah, right? I mean, I try to reel it in as much as I can because I do want to be palatable, but at the same time, you know, I also... I mean, I don't know, man. I I I feel like Pee Wee Herman, you know. You don't 
You don't want to get messed up with me. I'm a, I'm a loner. I'm a rebel. But if you do want to get messed up with a but, loner yeah, and a rebel, the then... the quickest when it comes yeah. to the sequel, that's kind of easy. I mean, it's different films, and that would be the missing in action films. They came out within four months of each other. And what happened was is they filmed them back-to-back, but they decided that the second, the first film in the series, which was filmed as the first one, wasn't as good as the second one. So they took the second one and made it the first film, and then made the first film the second film, even though it made it confusing as hell because you're watching the first film, you're like, there's a lot of shit that happened that we didn't get to see. Yeah. Yeah, and I... I, I think that's a fairly common theme when we talk about uh, the shortest time between uh, sequels. I think a lot of times they di- they filmed uh, a, a, like a four-hour movie and then just cut it in half. I mean, and I'll, I'll go right to it because, we, as again, we always talk about Tarantino is my favorite director, but you knew uh, – Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2 came out within like 200 days of within one another. And that wasn't because they filmed the second one. They they filmed the whole thing at once and then they just cut it in half, edited it, and put it out. And I think that's true with a lot of these films when we're talking about super quick turnaround with sequels like uh, the Twilight Saga or the Matrix Saga or the, uh, uh, what do you call it, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like Pirates of the Beach, Caribbean. Beach party. Uh, yeah. You know. Going back uh, to the 60s, you... Beach Party movies where they would have like a new one out every year. Yeah, yeah, well... See that that's different though because I actually do believe that back then they were filming these movies back to back because they put a movie out it became a big hit and then they they went after it and they were like all right let's do this but you know a lot of stuff like I said the twilight movies and uh back to the future stuff like that I think a lot of that shit they were filming those all at once uh, and and interestingly enough, the reason why I, I I came across this whole idea is I was talking to Sean Timms, uh, our our president and the founder of Our Massive, the the website, the blog site where you and I got our start. Uh, he and I were talking about uh, these these movies and and and. He was the one who brought up Blade Runner versus Blade Runner 2049 and talking about, you know, a 35-year stretch between films. But he also brought up some of the stuff about, you know, like like I'm talking about right now, like these films like anything from Pirates of the Caribbean to uh, Scary Movie to Twilight and uh, Hunger Games, where they film a lot of these movies and they just film them out, like, straight out, like, nine hours worth of, of, of film and then just cut out whatever they don't need and, and then they can 
if if the last film is a is a hit, they can just drop the next one with within a year, which is strange uh, for people like you and I to think of, Stephen, because we grew up in an era where, you know, yeah, you might love Empire Strikes Back, but guess what, baby? It's going to be three, four years until you see Return of the Jedi, you know? Yeah. Oh, and speaking of sequels, who would you rather have direct Return of the Jedi? Irvin Kirshner, David Lynch, or David Cronenberg? I I do love uh, the the version of Return of the Jedi that exists, uh, but. Oh, shit, man. If I had to choose between David Lynch and David Cronenberg, ooh, that's a tough one, man. Uh, Lynch would have made it slower and more bizarre, but Cronenberg might have worked in some more weird... Oh, I don't know, man. Now I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Lynch's Dune. He had some weird body horror shit in that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that, yeah. And then I got to go back over to, uh, I don't know, man. The blue scanners. Yeah, that that's just one of those dreams. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to let that marinate for a while, man. Like, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a child of the '80s, of course, I love uh, Empire, or, or rather, uh, Return of the Jedi, just the way it is. But if I had to choose between uh, Lynch and Cronenberg, now you're are you, you're just fucking with me, man. You're just but you just you. How many buttons you gonna try to push? You pushing some buttons? Because I don't that know, man. That actually did happen. I mean, really. Uh... Uh, oh yeah, I, I know. Kirshner, they tried to get oh. yeah, tried to get Kirshner back, but Kirshner was busy. I forget what he was doing, and he tried to get David Lynch, but David Lynch was busy doing the Elephant Man, and Cronenberg was uh, filming, I think, either Scanners or uh, Fast Company. Yeah. Yeah, I was just uh, – actually, was just reading some interviews with Cronenberg earlier. He didn't happen to mention Return of the Jedi, but I do believe at the time that Return of the Jedi was in production, he was doing scanners. Uh, I think so. But, yeah. Oh. I don't know, man. Like, uh, yeah, it's weird how in the eighties we got sequels, but they really weren't sequels. They were like continuations of one of the characters coming back, like uh, Halloween and uh, Friday the Third. Well, Friday the Thirteenth movie. Every one of the movies, yeah, they had Jason, but they were completely different freaking movies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, it wasn't the generic were, sequel that you started to get in the 90s. All right. 
Yeah, I noticed in the 70s is when they started playing it safer, you know. I don't know. Uh, you and I have talked about this several times before as well. Uh, there were so many times when a movie was a sequel, but it wasn't really a sequel. They Somebody just dug up a, a script and decided, hey, you know what? If we slap a hockey mask on this guy, it could be another Friday the 13th movie, you know? Stuff like that. You and I have talked about that a long time. Yeah. You know, a bunch. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, I mean, it was more like a rich... Until the VHS era really kicked in in the 90s, it was all about original, original stuff at the theaters, you know? And then in the 90s, it's like, let's give them all sequels. Yeah. I, I mean, I can just remember how many times someone walked up there and say, I'm reading this movie. I know this title. Yeah, but is the movie any good? <laughs> I don't know, but I like the earlier one, so I'm going to rent this one. <laughs> yeah. It right. really got yeah. to that. I started getting that logic. I, I know this title. It was weird. In the yeah. 70s, you would see the director's name. It's like uh, Francis Ford Coppola film. A, or, you know, a so-and-so film. And then in well, the 80s, that's... it was, you know, more about the spectacle. And the then the 90s is when you really started seeing the star on the poster. Yeah, well, it's like I always say to you, uh, when I was growing up, I never really paid much attention to directors or writers. Uh, my mother was a huge film fanatic, and she would, you know, we would just go to the video store and rent movies, and and she was a big horror an exploitation fan in addition to renting, you know, uh, you know, Kramer versus Kramer. She'd also grab last house on the left, you know? Uh, so she was big into like, like adult cinema, but she would also grab just some exploitation or horror films or whatever. And so I remember growing up like that and, uh, you know, never really thinking twice about directors or writers. Uh, it wasn't until I was probably about 15 years old, I made friends with this guy in my neighborhood who was a huge film fanatic. Uh, uh, he was my own age, uh, by the way. I, I just don't want to insinuate that I was sexually molested by a dude who was into uh, cinema. No, uh, he was my age. But he actually knew a lot about directors and writers and things like that. So he was really the one who indoctrinated me into the whole world of, hey, if you like this movie, you should watch this movie. And I was like, why? Uh, same writer, same director, same actors. You know, he was actually the one who got me into the Coen brothers at a very young age. Uh, I mean, I say a young age, but. I guess 15, we were both like 15, 16 years old, but he was the one yeah. who introduced me, you know, like to the, to that early stuff, you know, and 
he was the one who got me into the whole idea of, oh, and I guess I never thought about it. I was kind of a fucking stupid kid. I mean, I'm kind of a fucking stupid adult, but uh, yeah, he he was the one who got me into that kind of shit, like comparing. Yeah, he, oh, right. It was the, uh, yeah, the books. It was uh, John Stanley's Creature Guide, uh, Danny Perry's cult movie. And even then, it was like they're not re- they're not reviewing the stuff that I used to get at the drive-in. So where can I find anyone who reviews stuff that I watched at the drive-in? That redneck crap that I grew up with. And then I looked <laughs> in the back of Fangoria, and there is this book that just came out called Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-In. Oh, man, I have a copy of that sitting on my desk right now. There's a copy of it sitting on my desk right now. (laughs) I love that book. Of course, I went to the bookstore and got that as soon as I could. Yeah. If you you don't have a copy of Joe Bob... Goes to the drive-in, or Joe Bob goes back to the drive-in. Yeah, if you're if you're a film geek like Stephen and I, and you do not have a copy of Joe Bob Goes to the Drive-in, you best go get one because that's one of the best film. Oh, come on, man! I could go on all day. Psychotronic Film Guide. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, the Psychotronic on. Magazine, I mean, uh, Asian oh. Trash Cinema, yeah. Video Watchdog, Deep Red. Yes. Yeah. See now, now these youngins, Stephen, they don't, they don't understand what it was like for us growing up. This whole internet thing did not exist when we were growing up. No. If you wanted to know about cult cinema. And underground films, you had to actually go digging, and you usually had to start with with the zines. You had to go find some zine, and if you didn't grow up, I understand if you didn't grow up in a big city, that was not an easy thing to do. But, uh, and I did not grow up in a big city, but I grew up big city adjacent, so I was able to get my hands on all that shit. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I was pretty close to a pretty cool bookstore so hey yeah I was able to even find the Aron Encyclopedia of Horror oh that's a find yeah I was well, a big that was comic back then I read it I was a big comic book nerd too and there was this really cool comic book store near my house that not only sold Psychotronic and Phantom of the Videoscope, but I was also able to grab like 8-Ball and Hate and, you know, some of those cool underground comics from from back then. Uh, so that was always cool. Um, there was a cool record store downtown that sold a bunch of stuff on vinyl. So I was able to get some yeah. cool, like, Misfits and Black Flag and stuff like that. But it was our fault that we... But it's also our fault that we got a lot of the crap on video, like uh, 
the demons, one through five, zombie, five through seven and eight. That was our fault because we would rent that crap. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. We, we're sorry for that. We apologize for that. <laughs> but we won't apologize for Bruno Matei, damn it. Oh, no. Hell no. Nope. But yeah, we would go uh-uh. to the video stores and look up the weird shit that we'd read in there, like uh, The Sadist with Arch Hall, uh, Bay of Blood, anything with Fulci, Baza, Argento. Yeah, uh, there were, you and I have talked about this before, man. There were always so many uh, movies that I, there was one video store in my town that the guy who owned it, uh, he would travel all around New England and go to video stores that were going out of business, and he would just buy up their entire stock. And uh, he would take all the best – this was back when VHS was the only – viable medium i mean obviously beta was still a thing but he would go around to all these different video stores that were going out of business in new england he would just buy up their entire stock he'd put everything that he didn't want out on a table in front of his store and just put it on sale for cheap you know like three to five dollars and he'd keep all the best stuff for himself so not only could you get like that's where I got my copy of Solo, that's where I got my copy of Blood Sucking Freaks. Uh you know, I got so much cool shit out there buying stuff for like 3 bucks off of his uh table, but then I would also go back to that store cuz it was right in my neighborhood and rent movies all the time and that's where I first saw things like oh jeez Sid and Nancy and Clockwork Orange, like movies that I had only yeah. read about in magazines, you know, and and just and, he, this uh, guy had the coolest shit. Yeah, and the only hmm. thing I really hate is back then the guy with the coolest shit would give you deals. Nowadays, if you're gonna look for the guy with the coolest stuff and the obscure stuff, you got to go on eBay and stuff. And guys like that on eBay will screw you over hard. It's yeah, not well, you and I... Like uh, Grindhouse, you want it on the only home video format is incomplete. You're paying $100 for the fucking U.S. version. And fuck you. Or so-and-so, uh, let's see, Cemetery Man, I got, if you're wanting the U.S. disc, you're paying $100 or fuck you. Sometimes like that won't be like that. They will be like, give me a second. Well, copy, copy, copy. Okay, here it is. It's copy and it's good quality. Why? So I can get more of your money on down the line. They don't care about... That's what the guys cared about. They didn't care about getting your money. They cared about getting more of your money. They're like, well, if I get $10 from him and then he sees that I can give him his $10 worth, he's going to keep bringing me those $10. Yeah. uh, 
Yeah, the whole, I don't know. It, it, it goes back to what you and I have talked about before. It's not just about movies, but it's about like records, like, you know, like I said earlier tonight, and I've said many times before on the show, I'm a huge vinyl series. collector. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge collector of vinyl and action figures, and I, you know, I collect all kinds of nerd shit, you know, and oh, whenever there's something that goes online that's, you know, uh, just, you know, ultra limited, there's always going to be some fucking asshole who has all of his information already punched in on the website. And the minute it goes on sale, boom, he buys every fucking copy. And then the next thing you know, it's on eBay, every copy of it. Oh, five. Uh, I'm telling you, man, if I ever meet the guy who bought all 500 copies of the DJ shadow remix of handlebars and tried to resell them for three times the, the asking price, I'm going to punch him right in the face. And then hopefully Get, finally get one of those copies of the DJ Shadow remix of Handlebars on vinyl. Yeah, but. I mean, really, <laughs> buying a collectible online shouldn't be like walking through the middle of a fucking prison block and worrying about rape. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm semi-not joking. I mean, really, it is. It's like, well, who's going to screw me the least? <laughs> right? I know. It's like it's like we always talk about, man. There's enough stuff out there for everyone to love and enjoy and that's that's awesome. I don't give a shit, you know, if you like Justin Bieber and I don't, I'm not going to bitch about Justin Bieber. That's your fucking that's your lifestyle choice, but I, if there was a but Justin Bieber little- single there's a yeah, Justin Bieber single you know, of it. Yeah. If you knew where one was, it's like, oh, do you have that exclusive remix that was limited to this edition of 50,000 copies? Uh, yeah. There's a guy over there that's selling it for two bucks. You better hurry before he sells out. Thanks. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> right? Not. Ooh, Justin Bieber sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oh, a Justin Bieber single for $2? Well, I'm going to buy this and sell it back online for 50 bucks. Like, fuck you. Like, don't be a fucking dick yeah. your whole life. Like, everyone everyone has the right to love what they love, and we should all, yeah, we should all be fucking sharing, not hoarding. Don't be a fucking yeah. dick your whole love life. Love is love, not money. You know, like, I love my money, so I... <laughs> You would see that right? at convention, too. Except if we ran into those guys in the convention, we'd take them out back and beat the living shit out of them if they tried to screw them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like, hey, uh, this guy bought like 20 copies of this stuff that you were selling exclusive. He did? Yeah. And he's charging like fucking three times like you did. Always let it go. What? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But thank you guys for All listening right. and tune in next week and hopefully the Oscars won't be as boring as it seems like it's gonna be. Yeah. Well we'll have and a lot rest to talk in peace, about next week. Hellman. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully next oh. week we'll have a guest again. Uh 
uh, we've, yeah, well, we've had we're a lot of trouble. We have our guests, but then work. Yeah. Yeah. It was easier to get guests in the days when everybody was locked in with the coronas. Yeah. Now people are going out and having <laughs> fun again, and our our podcast isn't as much as much fun as as going out to the bars or whatever. So, but uh, but yeah, you know, everyone, thanks going for out listening. Working a lot. Oh, do you have a gig this weekend close to your house, to your place where people in your area can go out and listen to you say jokes? Uh, no, I don't think I have another show scheduled until, uh, April. Well, yeah, it'll be April 28th, which will be next Wednesday. Uh, before we do the podcast, I'll, I might have one, but I can't, I can't say for sure. Uh, but yeah, it would be either next Wednesday before or after the podcast, but it is in my neighborhood. So we'll figure it out. But uh anyway that's that's where we're at right now so yeah thanks for thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening wear a mask wash your hands get your vaccines don't be a dick (laughs) (laughs) have a good one